Hello and welcome, and thank you for downloading the Green Majority Radio Show. We hope you enjoy this week's program. Uh, as we mentioned last week, we uh, we are still doing a, a fundraise call out, but we have a very specific ask right now. We are looking to actually hire some form of an ongoing producer. Uh, Stefan, I was just noting to Stefan today on the show uh, that I've been doing the show ten years now, but we are of course very busy with our actual jobs. But we do not want the show to suffer, so instead we're going to uh, just hire some help, uh, get some more continuity into the program, so we keep producing good quality. Radio programs for you and and get better and continue to uh, to grow over time so if you're able to chip in for that we're looking to hire uh, some support over the next couple of months uh, but we do have not quite enough in our patron in fact we're we need to about double frankly our, our current patron uh, offerings uh, to be able to actually hire somebody to do a good job here and, and keep the program going so if you're able to, to chip in recommended donation is five dollars you can do ten dollars you can do two dollars whatever works for you is great please go ahead and do that at patreon.com slash green majority that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash green majority and uh let's get that going let's uh, hurry up and get even more awesome uh aside from that please enjoy this week's program i know i did i hope you do too take care And welcome, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Saren Kaster, and I'm here with Stefan Hostetter in the studio. How you doing? And uh, we have another action-packed show for you this week because nature never ceases to be awesome. Or terribly, terribly terrifying. Uh, I meant awesome in the literal sense. Like oh, like awe inspiring. inspiring awe, okay. The inspiring of awe, uh, not okay. uh, radical. Right. Nature continues to be awesome, mm-hmm. full of awe. <laughs> and uh, uh, Stefan, you you uh, sent some. You send essentially most of the stories today, and uh, you organize them very uh, for internal purposes with some some fun headlines. And uh, I like your int- fun internal headlines, so I'm yeah. going to tell people what they are. Right. Uh, first up, I think this week is uh, you titled it "This Week in Armageddon." Yeah. That is also in the literal sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we'll also be talking about this week in oil bubble, although I'm very happy that, um, I mean, the, the, the story, well, I think it's very important to talk about or we wouldn't be talking about it on air. I think uh, the story of sort of the decline of oil. I'm also kind of bored by it because um, all of the people who are paying the slightest bit of attention to markets and investment and technology and all these things already know this. The oil companies already know this. That's why they're fighting so hard. Well, there was an oil company that uh, a couple weeks ago, or maybe even just this week, uh, at a conference literally said we're one like, to it, it, at, at a conference uh, for, for oil, oil people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, basically said uh, that we're they're one, that the oil, oil industry is one major improvement in batteries away from being extinct. Right. Uh, and, and that's, that's coming that's, at lightning speed. Yeah. Well, we hope so. Cross our fingers. <laughs> Maybe literally lightning. Who knows what the <laughs> next uh, corner turn in renewable energy is. But so we'll be, we're going to be, I think, generally going forward, just going to be relegating those types of stories to the end of the show. Um, because I don't think, like, they're not as, like, they're important to talk about the details. It's sort of like we're going to, you know, letters from the front line sort of thing. We're going to keep people updated on what's going on. But as an overall trend, nobody's surprised. Right. And and so I don't think it takes the, the head slot. What does take the head slot this week, and Stefan, I'm going to pass to you here. Uh, we'll be talking about Puerto Rico and the la, uh, the current situation a little bit in the middle of the program. We're going to start with two big stories, uh, again, that you uh, you uh, very appropriately titled This Week in Armageddon. Uh, one of them is, is uh, a shocking new report about uh, a dramatic uh, 
one and very appropriate use of the word dramatic in this case, um, plunge in insect numbers and why that matters. You might be thinking, oh, insects, I don't like insects. Maybe we can eat them sometimes, but, uh, but who cares? Well, it's actually very important. Um, and then we'll also be tying in another study uh, double whammy here of, of really impactful uh, bit of research being done uh, about as well about the true cost of pollution, uh, both in financial dollars and in lives. Uh, I think both of those numbers will shock you. Uh, Stefan, take it away. Thank you very much. Yeah. So uh, this this week in Armageddon was a was a, a fun title mainly because that word popped up in both of the uh, both of the articles. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's. I feel like we should pay attention uh, when scientists who study these particular things are are as scared as they are. Uh, now, obviously, humans in history uh, have a habit of telling everyone Armageddon is coming. Uh, you know, there's the sort of the stereotypical guy with a placard rocking around uh, yelling the end is nigh. Uh, but I think it's a little more important to pay attention to when uh, when when dramatically uh, when backed by science and studies and things like that. Really. All else being equal, though, if we have the end is nigh guy on the street corner and, and a scientist uh, telling me the end is nigh, I will trust the guy with the spreadsheet and the stack of research <laughs> papers between the two. Anyway. Right. Although at the same time, the end is nigh. Like, like as, as we were teasing before the, uh, before the show, there's a conversation here that I'm desperate to have which, with, with, with anyone who will have with me, which is really what it will take to, to maybe believe the end is nigh. How are we going to be able to have this conversation about the real lived experiences when we keep sort of like... When articles of these natures, and I'll get to them right now, are 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 sort of relegated to the environment section of things, mm. I, that's a concern. This, like you know, it's what do we have to do to to get this in the mainstream consciousness? I guess you you would think that, and the, and this is sort of the the proverbial question of the of environmentalists for fifty years now, which is. Um, how and why is the erosion of the basis of our entire ecosystem and thereby all life on Earth being threatened not a front page story? Mm. Um, yeah, you know why not? Um, and and I and I think we have I, I you know I have some thoughts about that, but that's not necessarily what the topic of today's mm. show is. But I, I want maybe people to think about that going forward. About you know why isn't why isn't this more important than than say uh, even th you know things. Uh, you know, like some of the other stuff that's in the news today. I mean, even even some of the Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico stories. We're not we're not saying any of those stories don't matter. That those issues don't matter. But um, as far as like an ongoing coverage topic, we we are talking about the the erosion of fundamentally all life on Earth, and that should at least be in the top ten. You would hope so. Uh, but so 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 this, this, these insects. Why do we care? Um, what are they good for? A lot of things, it turns out. Um, and so the data actually comes from a, a bunch of nature reserves across Germany. And and what it says is basically they've been doing this study for about 25 years. They've been doing the same thing over and over. They have very specific standards of having doing it, so they are able to get pretty consistent numbers year over year over year. And the abundance of flying insects has plunged by three quarters over the last 25 years. So that is three, 75%. Uh, of all flying insects have decreased over 25 years, and what's we and we don't really know exactly why. That's part of the issue here is that there's not these this this is not just like a lot of previous studies and a lot of normal studies are done uh, focusing on one specific insect, uh, or one specific uh, creature, and that's not the case here. What's happening here is that they're actually just basically putting up a big uh, a way to capture all insects. Uh, 
And and so it actually it does a better job of showing the sort of general impact on all biomass rather than uh, you know rather than just being okay this one pollinator is is, is dying or, or these butterflies which are which is well documented are decreasing. Uh, so this seventy five percent of all flying insects uh, in 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 Germany. And what's also nature also important to note here is that this is in nature reserves. This isn't this isn't in places where where these these insects are being killed uh, by pesticides immediately. You know once they leave the nature reserve that's a, that is a concern about why this might be happening is that they might be dying as soon as they leave the nature reserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, 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 where they're least being captured here are within the, the scope, right? They're all within the uh, within a place where they should be protected. And so they should be, they should, so you'd hope to see at least less of a decline. You know, if this was a study of in the middle of cities, then I think you could have a different conversation here. But this is places where we would hope that all of these insects are surviving and still we're seeing a decline of 75%. And it's, it's even worse in the summer when uh, when when the when normally it's even higher, you know, the, the number of insects normally increases in the summer, and the decrease from summer peak to summer peak is actually even is above eighty percent. And so it's not it's not just the idea that um, that it's increasing. And, and if you see it again, what's interesting about all these sort of studies is that when you look at it, it looks like you know, it's 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 a big peak and valley, peak and valley, peak and valley, because that's you know how insects' lives work. Uh, but it's still that downward trend that you see very very obviously, and. Right. It reminds me a lot of the, these climate change conversations. You know, right. someone could say, "Well, you know, bees have been down before. You're just you're, okay. Yes, they go up and down, but the overall trend—it's like, <laughs> it's it's literally the same concept, right? And not necessarily that we're hearing people doubting these these studies, but the the, the that's how dumb that argument sounds. Yeah, and and again, these insects are are an integral part of life on Earth. They're pollinators. You know, they're prey for wildlife. Uh, and and this is a whole wide range, and and this report has literally has sentences like, uh, on we're on course for ecological Armageddon, uh, or 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 more so even a uh, professor uh, Dave Golson from Sussex University in the United Kingdom, United Kingdom um, who was a part of the team behind the study, is quoted as saying, "We appear to ma- we appear to be making vast tracts of land inhospitable for most forms of life." And currently on course for ecological Armageddon. That's where it is. Uh, and if we lose the insects, then we are then everything is going to collapse. This is like when I keep coming back to this concept of at some point there is going to be like an alien life form that comes back to Earth and and reads uh, all of these reports and is like, dude, they knew. They 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 wrote about it over and over again. Seems like they had a pretty good handle. On yeah, it. they were they were pretty certain about it. Like they 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 did a lot of work. They researched it and they figured it all out. Huh? It's like you know, it's like if people on Easter Island, you go to Easter Island, there's a whole bunch of reports being of people writing, you know, oh, we should really stop logging trees. We're still logging trees. Why are we logging trees? Anybody? 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 And it's and yet and yet here we are, right? And and if I can make one quick uh, sort of side jump. Um, because because I think this is actually uh, mildly important to note is that one of the more contentious issues within within uh, climate spaces uh, or, or environment spaces is the concept of GMOs and whether they're healthy and and how and how you know there aren't too many studies that are showing if GMOs themselves are are linked th- specifically to harming humans and all sorts of like that and I'm going to leave that debate to the side uh, because if you want to argue against a vast percentage of genetic modified uh, organisms. Part of the issue with them is that 
a bunch of them are created in a system where that allows you to then flood the entire thing with Roundup and these pesticides, which do kill these insects. You know, we make these, like, and this is not all GMOs, but there's a, there's a certain number of them which we need to be paying attention to, uh, which are designed to protect themselves. They're designed so they don't die when you when you cover them in pesticides. And so we just cover everything in pesticides. And this is how our, this is how our agriculture system is working. And so when people talk about the sort of the destructive nature of some of our agriculture systems, it's these kinds of actions that are that are doing it. And what's happening is it might not be obvious to you because you still see the sort of you know the the, the rodents and the other stuff like that. But you, when you start seeing fewer and fewer of the bugs, that matters. Uh, and this is the kind of thing that leads to that is that there's that there's certainly a, a huge nature of that as well. Now again. I'm not saying that these particular GMOs in, in are, are affecting this particular study in Germany. I'm just saying that it's a part of a larger system that we have to be paying attention to, and, and, and that's something we need, to, we need to talk about. And so insects, man, care about them. It's my, it's my rabbit point. Uh, but the second one, to, to keep moving along, because we only have about 20 minutes for the segment, you know, Armageddon only takes 20 minutes. <laughs> Uh, we only have twenty minutes to, for to, for Armageddon. That's, yeah, well, this week in Armageddon, yeah. next week in Armageddon will oh, be will will be another twenty minutes. Twenty minutes a week, exactly okay. for Armageddon. Yeah, um, is is this pollution? Uh, and it, what's interesting about this, this pollution numbers is. I feel like as pollution used to be all environment, right? Like all the environmental movement used to be about pollution, right? Mm -hmm. That was sort of, that was our jam. We were really against pollution. And they weren't wrong, it turns and out. And they were not wrong. Um, mm -hmm. But they also, but also definitely it's been, it's been usurped, I think, by the sort of looming uh, nature of climate change. And so there's a bit of a, while, while obviously people sort of still care about pollution, there's definitely a bit of like, a, well, this, we, you know, here in you know in Canada, United States, we got some you know, the, the different protections, and so we feel a little bit better about that, so we're less worried. Right. And the, way, the way that I would phrase the way that I would phrase it, Stefan, is that is that we we hyper focused on a single pollutant, yeah, uh, as opposed to you know those issues because I mean essentially that's what it is. We just right. got very caught up on on one particular pollutant, and and a lot of research has been. Uh, has been done on that one thing, but that unfortunately had the sort of consequence, I think, of like pulling resources away from the research and studies that we're doing on on a wide variety of a variety of other pollutants. And then, as you were saying, the the in the interim, the the distribution of these pollutants didn't slow down; it rapidly accelerated as we switch over to things that we now just spray everything with pesticides and uh, and whatnot. And they they make an interesting distinction in the article about the difference between modern pollution and, and traditional pollution. When and and I found it interesting to sort of think about it that way that old pollution was generally uh, clean water sources and indoor air, indoor air quality. Uh, and then now we've inverted that. And now it's basically every plant <laughs> uh, and outdoor air pollution. And that, that seems like, a, a, you know, as bad as indoor air pollution is, not having anywhere to go to get away from it is uh, by having bad out, uh, outdoor air pollution does seem to be upgrading the problem. Well, and, it, and, it, and you can see it's, it's almost as if like, yeah, we got better at one. You can see one as one tracks down, the other tracks up. And we, re, we didn't really solve the pollution problem. We just changed it exactly. Right. As many. And there's not, there hasn't really been a plan. I'm sorry, I'll let you continue. Yeah. But I mean, there hasn't really been a plan to like do this intentionally. But the sort of the effect mm -hmm. of these decisions, you know, viewed from 10,000 feet is such that essentially we're saying, okay, well, we we don't care about the outside pollution because that's the commons and so that's someone else's problem or it's not my problem. As long as my little bubble is taken care of, right? It comes down to mm -hmm. the selfishness, right? So people, uh, the, not people like individuals, but I'm saying like humanity has sort of started to organize that like, okay, well, if there's an air pollution problem, I just need to create like a safe space from that air pollution. So I'm going to put HVAC 
works on my building, uh, but build it using all these crazy chemicals that make the outside air worse. And what we're ending up with though is the, you know, we're sort of, it's, it seems to me to be this like trend towards these like almost like moon based type inhab in uh, habitation on earth itself, which is that we have these tiny little bubbles of like clean rooms with, you know, chemically filtered air and all this stuff and the outside is a toxic waste zone. I don't think we're going that way intentionally, but that does seem to be the trend. That does seem to be the consequences of all our decisions added up. Right. Yeah. And, and so and so the story here is uh, that pollution kills nine million people a year uh, and costs trillions of dollars, uh, according to the most comprehensive uh, global analysis to date, uh, which warns that the crisis, quote unquote, threatens the continuing survival of the of human societies. So yet again, these are two articles that in sort of daily perusing of uh of, of life, both actually come from The Guardian right now, um, but are not mincing words about the dangers that we're facing. And, and what's interesting about this, this study is that it looks at toxic air, water, soils, and workplaces uh, are, are responsible for diseases that kill one in every six people around the world. Uh, now, again, those are leading to it, not direct causation. And that's part of the problem here is that what's interesting about this, the study, is they're sort of like, okay, we can definitely account for this set of people, but there's we we know that we're missing a massive other percentage of the damage being done because we have not yet figured out how to study it that well. Um, and and these deaths that even are stood right now are that are, are attributed to pollution are triple those of AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. And so these are not small numbers, and it's like nine million people a year, and and, the, and you know the the vast the the vast majority of the deaths occur in places that we sort of talk about a lot, you know, uh, like like India, um, in in Chad and Madagascar, uh, and then also some in China as well, and especially where that's sort of, and especially in India and in China, that comes from a lot of air pollution. Air pollution is is about half those nine million million deaths, and a lot of that is from vehicles. You know, these are cars driving in in in, in built up cities that are causing air pollutions and and are killing people. Many like four point five million people a year, basically, mm-hmm. uh, and in in costing us 4.6 trillion a year uh, which is equivalent and this is what which I think is actually really important here is that whenever we talk about solving these problems we always talk about the percentage of G, of global GDP it costs uh, to to fix, and it's usually I've, like, and it's usually you know, a couple percentage points, which is a t- which is trillions of dollars, uh, and everyone says it's unaffordable. But this, the researchers in this study uh, estimate the welfare losses from pollution uh, are about four point six trillion dollars a year, which is equivalent to more than six percent of global GDP. And so, this is th- what we're currently paying to kill ourselves. We, we could be using to do the opposite, to actually reduce these, to, to, work, to work backwards, to actually fix some of these things. And more importantly, it would be cheaper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like we, we would save money. It would cost us less to not pollute in the first place than it would to clean it up after the fact. Yeah, and so th- this is so th- here. So this is the the, the article. Uh, the authors are are from the the Commission on Pollution and Health, and they published it in the Lancet on Friday, and and they're quoted as saying, "Pollution is one of the greatest existential challenges of the Anthropocene era." And the Anthropocene, of course, is the sort of idea of human dominated where we control basically the the ecosystem mm. that we live in. Um, and and they, go, they go on to say, pollution endangers the stability of Earth's, Earth's support systems and threaten the continuing survival of human societies. It's, it's, 
it's these types of things that we have to have to pay attention, that we that like that I'm hoping we can find a way to sort of have a conversation about you know and, and then you go on to like this these are these are not these are not sort of you know these are not just random people on the street this is these are professors you know professor philip uh, landegren uh, is from the ican School of Medicine in Mount Sinai, in the United States, who co-led this commission, is quoted as saying that we fear that nine million deaths a year uh, were pushing the envelope on the amount of pollution the Earth can carry, and and then it goes on to say the the air pollution deaths in Southeast Asia are on track to double by 2050. So we're not we're not this, it's not like we're sort of saying this is bad and but we're fixing it. This is bad and we're not doing anything about it. Mm. And 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 to to sort of wrap this up because I know we're running out of time a little bit. What is happening like? What is happening in the world right now? Let's, like, what's, what's crazy about this is that when you look at sort of all of this information and then you sort of look at, okay, what are we doing about it? And the answer is we're going backwards. Um, not only, again, not only does this 9 million, 9 million people obviously a terrifying huge, it doesn't even include uh, lead's impact on toxic, from toxic sites. So if something like Flint, Michigan is completely left out of this conversation uh, because, they, because they haven't got a firm handle on that. And, and all of this is on the back of like whenever you know we had Scott Pruitt uh, week last week, uh, who's an Armageddon himself, uh, because a walking Armageddon. Yeah, well, because literally this is coming up. This report comes on the back of the Trump administration is cutting regulations everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, the EPA is is basically toothless right now. Uh, you know, like l- Google the man of the things that the EPA is not paying attention to in Houston. Like Houston is a chemical hub. Like you want to talk about pollutants, pay attention to all the pollutants that are going on that are that are now that are that are sort of being uh, mismanaged in the wake of, of, of Houston's hurricane because the EPA is not paying attention to it because they because they're trying to they're trying to they're trying to do and Scott and some Scott, Scott Pruitt said uh, they're trying to end the war on coal yeah. uh, that's the job of the EPA right to, to protect coal that's why it was created so who cares about if you know who cares about the Environmental Protection Agency we're we're bringing jobs back to America. No, you're not, and you're killing people. Can you please do something about it? Yeah. So, as, as Stefan, as you said, we are over time, but the, my, my a quick metaphor that won't make sense if I don't say it right now. All so, right. the idea the idea here. So, if we think about sort of the world, uh, you know, as a as a company, let's bring it down to the size of a single, maybe even a small company, right? They have a marketing department, they have an IT department, they have various things, they have a sales team, they have all this stuff, right? This is all these different sectors, different different things that we have to worry about. Forget about the hierarchy as far as power, but essentially, what environmentalists are trying to do is they're trying to play the role of the manager, not in the sense that they're in charge or they're more important or any of that stuff, but just the, the point of view that they're coming at this problem from. And so what you have is that you have a few departments who uh, have the ear of the board say, I'll try not to stretch this metaphor too far, but they <laughs> keep saying like, we're, we're, you know, we, we need to cut costs. We need to cut costs. Be like, okay. But the way that they're cutting cost is say the, the marketing department is that they're pushing mar- some of the marketing work onto the IT department. And they're putting some of the, putting some of their work onto the, the sales team. They're putting all their work into the, and, and maybe some of the board is picking it up and they're saying, look how effective we're doing. We're cutting all these costs. Look how efficient our department is, but the costs aren't actually being eliminated. They're simply being pushed onto other departments. And so someone's sitting back and saying, well, why come, why, you know, how is this company still suffering, right? It's because nothing actually happened. You just took something from over here and you pushed it over there. And maybe the IT department isn't as good as doing sales. 
or marketing or whatever that our department might be. And so what we're doing is we're doing a shell game, right? But these few, that was a, a pun intentional, uh, shell game. Nice. Uh, which is that, you know, uh, the, the, a few of these companies, the big petrochemical companies, a, lot, a few of these large corporations <clears throat> are saying, look, we're very, very important. We contribute to the economy. Therefore, the most important thing that will dictate all other things is for us to be as profitable as possible. And for us to be as profitable as possible, you have to take away all these regulations. But the things that those regulations we're regulating aren't disappearing because you stop regulating them. They're simply being paid for or, or causing, causing a cost in either damage or money somewhere else. And but then they get to say, well, look, blah, 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 and don't regulate us because our costs are going to, yes, but if you, you're, you're, if we actually made you to say you actually had to do all your work, you can't get the IT department to design your letterhead anymore. <laughs> you have to do that yourself. Sure, your costs will go up a little bit, but overall, the company is now more efficient. So that's what we're trying to do here as environmentalists. We're not trying to kill the oil industry because we don't like oil. We're trying to take a full cost accounting view of these problems and saying, look, it's actually just cheaper for everyone. If we stop prevent, if we prevent pollution, then if we try and you know pull a cancer out of people and pay for their healthcare for the rest of their life and then play for all these toxic sites, it's actually just cheaper not to create the pollution in the first place. And and to, and to brief on on that, what's ridiculous is that that argument is the argument you sort of we've we've fallen back to uh, instead of the people are dying and we should stop that. Like it's it's ridiculous that we've had to move beyond the more argument uh, of this. Like maybe we should stop doing something we've proven is actively killing people. To the it will save you a bit of a little few dollars when you if you don't do this. But like that's the world we currently live in, and that alone is terrifying. Right. So my, my point in a nutshell is that anyone that will tell you that, that it's better overall for the environment if we just let these companies have their way because the revenue they generate will pay for the problems, I guarantee you anything you can challenge me, you can email me any argument you want. There is some cost that they are not that they are pushing on to somebody else that is not being accounted for. And I bet in almost every I bet that one hundred percent of the time. And then in ninety eight percent of the time that it's actually is creating a larger cost just somewhere else that we're not paying attention. Think about it. If you can think of you can find an example where it's actually just better to let companies do what they want and create the pollution, then you can go ahead and email us. I dare you. Uh, then we're <laughs> going to use that and go to uh, our commercial commercial break. Our commercial break. Megan, our sponsor. Megan, <laughs> who were who? Yes, not our sponsor. Our tech. Megan is going to tell us what we're music break is going to be. We are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Our wonderful radio and community partners all across the country internationally uh, as well, as well as our national and international podcast listeners, if you're interested in the podcast version. Uh, at the moment, we're uh, taking a short break from doing bonus shows uh, because we're working on something, and I'll do... It was really great, actually. I got a bunch of emails yes, uh, last week after Stefan, after I mentioned this, so I'll just mention it again yeah. to let people know that the, the while the opportunity is not yet ready, yes. uh, we're working on uh, integrating some uh, Sumo folks, uh, including including uh, possibly a producer of some variety if you're, uh, uh, well, we don't have, we're going to actually type up like sort of like a, a job description, if you will. Uh, but we are looking for some folks to take a, take a, a fairly driver seat oriented position uh, helping us produce the show because you and I are still very committed to doing the show, but also increasingly very, very busy with things that pay us. Uh, so if that's of interest to you, we will, again, we will have a post up about that and we'll make the announcement when that's sort of officially live. But if you're interested in that now or you have questions or, or just want to make sure that you get it, the announcement when it is made, uh, you can go ahead and email us at greenmajority.ca. Uh, that is also where you can get the podcast and show notes, which is where we post all the links to the stories that we talk about, uh, sometimes ones we don't even talk about, yeah. just for fun. So in case you want to know even more things that we decided did not, to not depress you with then on that particular day. That's right. So uh, this week in Armageddon is done. So so what, it's good news now, Stefan? No, not so much. 
we are jumping into uh, a conversation about Puerto Rico one month later. So this is th- so w- part of the reason why I want to come back to this is because after Hurricane uh, Maria uh, slammed into into Puerto Rico uh, on September 20th, it was a it hit as a Category Four storm. It killed at least 48 people. And again, this death toll is 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 deceiving because it's it's sort of who was directly impacted and directly killed almost by like the first day or two, not sort of the more general ongoing difficulties of life afterwards. Um, it because it, it destroyed tens of thousands of homes and left tens of thousands of people without a job. Uh, and it, it was the strongest hurricane to hit Puerto Rico in nearly a century. So this was a serious deal. And and a month later, uh, much like and it, it's amazing how sort of the news cycles work in that it's 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 so rare to come back to check in. It's so rare to have a news story shortly later, uh, you know, afterwards being like, oh, this is how it's doing now. And especially with something like Puerto Rico, where the original set of stories was were actually not. The media paid attention dramatically less to it than it did the two pre- hurricanes previously that hit Florida and Texas. And then the most of the stories coming out of Puerto Rico were actually about how Donald Trump was not paying attention to it or not doing enough rather than actually what was happening on the ground. And so the, and so it's, it's sort of been under, under, under paid attention to almost from the very beginning. And so a month later, it should be perhaps no surprise that roughly 80% uh, of power customers remain in the dark and 30% are without water and all the schools remain closed. And I want to jump back to almost like maybe a month and a half ago when we had a story about some of the some of the downpours that were hitting um, uh, that were hitting India and in in, in Bangladesh uh, about where a lot of this concern there was whether or not people where kids would sort of end up not returning to school and how how much that would actually impact the 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 sort of educational system within within the country and the fact that we're a month later and 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 parents are now actually going out and having to look or look for and try to find babysitters uh, to take care of their kids because the schools aren't open um, only indicates the the concern can only highlight the concern that this is dramatically going to impact the level of education that kids are currently receiving there and they are and, and the and the idea that some of them won't come back has got to be highly highly paid attention to you know these this is 3.4 million US citizens who are living uh, who are there could expect pa- like so this 3.4 million US citizens are the ones still without power and when asked uh, Trump said it would take quote unquote a while Thanks. Right. Uh, and so, you know, th- these aren't these aren't small things. And like and and the what keeps happening here, I think, is that the sort of everyone pays attention to the devastation part and never ends up paying attention to the, the rest of it and all the other sort of cascading effects. And so education is one. But another is the sort of the fact that the, uh, the, this is a quote actually from the New York Times article about this, but a brown haze has settled over parts of the island because the only way to the only way to power things now is these generators. And you know, we just talked about how bad pollution is uh, for people's health. These are these generators are you know are gas and diesel powered generators, and they're loud. They're terribly polluting, but they're also only ways to keep some lights on in hospitals and homes. And even the power company itself uh, has been using generators. Mm. And so, you know, the the so this is already causing impacts on 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 asthma. Uh, it's already causing health impacts. And, and and these health impacts are much harder again to deal with because they're still without power. Mm-hmm. It's just the um, the amount of 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 
ongoing difficulties that this hurricane has created for a country that was already uh, $74 billion in debt, uh, received a, uh, it's been an 11-year recession, and, and this hurricane caused another $85 billion in damages. Mm. It's, it's got to the point where, you know, the Puerto Rico had previously called the public debt load that the officials had already said was unpayable. And this is only going to magnify the impact on what's happening here. And these are U.S. citizens. It's just, it's just, it's sort of this ongoing sort of piece after piece after piece of like, at what point will we start doing something? At what point will, uh, will, will people pay attention? You know, f- you know there, there are 5,000 people still remain in shelters with many using rainwater as shower, uh, to shower. Like these are people who are, have been fully forced from their homes, are, have no, have like 80% without power, 30% without water. These are, this is a, 30,000 people don't have roofs on their houses and are awaiting tarps. Yeah. Like, More over 30,000. I'm just going from memory, but yeah. it's, it's maybe as high as 40. Like these are tens of thousands. Yeah. Th- th- and this is, this is, and this is in the United States. And yeah, again, we, we sort of discussed uh, on previous shows, the impacts of sort of the ongoing nature of its heart. You know, it's, 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 Without, as we cut government services, the idea that they are able to support uh, multiple hurricanes of of such devastation is is difficult, and which is why the amount of support needs to come in and actually pay attention to this. Yeah. If two if two more of these uh, identical hurricanes happened like a month from now and three months from now, Puerto Rico would just be abandoned. Oh, there a, a, right. a good it would percentage. Just be like you know what? It's not. We just can't keep doing this. We're just going to ship all of you to the mainland. I'm sorry. It's now an abandoned. And, well, a, you know, and a good percentage territory. people have have moved. There are people who are leaving Puerto Rico and moving to the United States for that exact reason. And and this is and what's and what and what should be noted there is that when we talk about climate refugees, that's that those numbers wouldn't even necessarily include Puerto Ricans moving to the United States because Puerto Ricans from the United States are actually. Um, yeah, they're not crossing border. They're not, no, 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 exactly, they're not crossing border, so they're not refugees. They're internally displaced citizens, mm. which would, doesn't even factor into the larger conversation of of, of, of climate refugees and, and how to and how, how to help them. And so all of this sort of comes to me in a, in a sense of like, okay, well, we see what's happening, we see what's going on. Um, obviously, you know, it, it's it's a difficult scenario, and so we need to have a plan to address not only this crisis but future crises like this, right? We need to actually start thinking about how to plan for these larger impacts. And something tells me the guy in the White House is not exactly about to do that, uh, given that earlier this week, when asked how he was doing, he said he'd give himself a ten out of ten uh, on 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 how Puerto Rico on, on Puerto Rico's uh, preparation and and and. Uh, and also, you know, helping afterwards. And what's what, what struck me about that? A is obviously ridiculous. That's like you know, here if eighty percent of any uh, anyone from Houston or or Florida without power a month later, I don't think anyone would be allowing Trump to get away with saying that he gives off a ten out of ten on how he's doing with hurricanes uh, or specific hurricanes in that specific city. It's, uh, that's almost ridiculous. It wasn't even a general statement. It was in specifically Puerto Rico, I gave myself a ten out of ten. No sensible person would ever give themselves a ten out of ten for everything uh, on anything on any issue ever, if for no other reason than not wanting to be seen as a jerk yeah well, I was that, gonna yeah. say something else yeah but let's but, say jerk yeah um and and but so that's so that's there so like clearly Trump is not about to pay much more attention to this issue however the the what I want to get to the, the last piece about this that I find at least newsworthy is the way the Washington report post was reporting on the fact that Donald Trump decided to give himself a 10 out of 10 which is they you know they they, they, they highlighted a couple of the things that were going on there um, but then they really quite quickly jumped into what polling says about 
whether or not how he's doing there. And they don't, and generally people don't agree. Um, uh, apparently Americans approximately gives it a four out of 10. But that's, that seems generous. Yeah, it seems a little generous. But, but, but even then, but to me, that's not even what matters. What matters here is that the conversation, there's a tension here between, at one point, a part of me feels like, how on earth are we accepting that the conversation here should be, well, does America agree with the president about how well he's doing versus what is actually happening and this is not great? Um, and and that's a whole conversation, right? Like the fact that we've decided that the conversation we need to be having about Trump's opinions on how he did in Puerto Rico is does anyone else agree with him? Not is he right or not is a concern. But at the same time, I'm I'm beginning to depressingly accept the fact that perhaps polling is the actually only thing that does matter. Like, you know, we, we, there's been an on-running joke on the internet that nothing matters anymore, um, you know, after Donald Trump got elected while lying to everyone all of the time. And so, per, and so perhaps we, have we entered a world in which what actually matters is polling numbers? Like, does the truth basically de be determined by what the American or whoever you're doing populist thinks? Like, have we moved, like, if that's the only way Trump will act, if the only way you can actually get action from the Congress to stop Trump from doing all the awful things he's doing, from the Senate from stopping Trump doing all the things he's doing, from Trump himself doing anything differently, is, it the, is the only recourse and the only thing that actually matters his polling numbers? And if so, what does that say about the society we live in? And what do you do about it? Because it totally flips the conversation about, like, truth is still important, but, like, it slowly erodes your belief in truth if if it keeps getting ignored for, you know, whatever polls better. Like, mm -hmm. if Trump says he gets us 10 out of 10 and 70% of Americans agree with him, then, like, then the fact that the people on the ground don't seems a little more difficult, which, all of which, and I this is my last point, dovetails into the sincere difficulty that exists here in Puerto Rico. Because, uh, you know, say what you will about Trump's reactions to a response to Houston or Florida, but had he, had he royally ignored it, had he, had he done almost, had he done as little as he's done for Puerto Rico, for Houston um, and, and Florida, there's at least a percentage chance that a he might lose. He won both those uh, states in the election, uh, and there are Republicans and senators sitting in both those states, and Republican Congresspeople sitting in both those states. And so you would hope that the voices that, that, that the voices of Houston and Florida would at least echo some way into the livelihoods of some people in power. None of those uh, avenues of recourse exist for the people of Puerto Rico. Uh, they do not have like they, they their voice is 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 marginalized to the extreme degree because they do not actually have uh, any real legislature le 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 legislators in 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 power and you can even see this reality affecting something like a big state like California because in California everyone's a Democrat and so Trump doesn't care like it took Trump a week to respond to the to, uh, not not a week don't quote me on that but like uh, he did not his response to the fires paled in comparison to other places he basically ignored them for extended periods of time because. And again, this is this is my conjecture, but like, because Democrats live there, 
and and, and he wasn't going to lose Florida because he lost Florida by like seven, like he lost Florida by millions and millions and millions of votes. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't even think you have to go that far. I mean, they've been uh, California has, as a state has been at, not as the citizens, but the state of California has been actively thumbing their nose at, at Trump since day one. I mean, talk about the the uh, sanctuary city. They they were talking about creating. They were the sort of one of the leads on creating their own. We don't care. We're going to go around you climate pact. I mean, name the issue. California has been basically, th- you know, throwing fingers, uh, whatever one you might come to your imagination yeah. at the White House since since day one. So that's I mean, right. that's not I don't I don't even think you have to go that deep to to find a, to, to find a mystery about why sort of California is being ignored. Well, yeah, yeah. But 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 like all of this is comes back to this concept that I'm that I'm still struggling with of it's hard. It's hard to believe that 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 facts and that are that, that facts matter when they can be so consistently and easily ignored by enough percentage of people who've set up enough of a system that they don't have to pay attention to you. And, and and like I I don't I don't know I don't know what I would do if I was living in in, in Puerto Rico and from a standpoint of having any faith in you know in anything but my local government uh, because they're they're being left out to dry and 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 so are multiple like it seems like the only places that are going to get any attention are places in which you know Trump has political stake in and and that's a terrifying way move move forward. You know, if if you start seeing politicians, uh, and you know, we sort of saw it here with with you know with Harper in Alberta, who are basically governing as a federal uh, 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 for particular parts of the country, not for the whole thing, then you have to reckon what that means for for truth and what that means for for how media has to report things, and it's just all the way down generally depressing. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone, for just how depressing <laughs> the show has been. That's you know, uh, uh, a regular listener actually already just tweeted us, and uh, I responded uh, saying that he liked today's show. It was depressingly accurate. So, ah, depressingly accurate. That's my goal most that, of the time. Is that? I feel like that was one. We've we've changed the subtitle on our on our website a dozens of times. Right. I feel like that either has been one at one point or, or should or will be. be in the future. Yeah, yes. depressingly accurate. Depressingly, although let me add a semicolon. Yeah. Depressingly accurate, but occasionally funny. <laughs> I, I would say, and and only and occasionally accurate. There you go. <laughs> and occasionally accurate, yes. Uh, okay, I again have a metaphor, but this time I can save it till after the break. So let's go to Megan, who's going to tell us what our second final music break will be. I will come back and regale you with a tale, and then Stefan's going to help me wrap up the show. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, and we'll be right back after this music break, which Megan will introduce. All right, we're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, live in Toronto or possibly on one of our very appreciated community radio partners internationally, uh, particularly across Canada, but not restricted to Canada, as well as our podcast listeners who are faithfully downloading this from either the website, from our SoundCloud page. Uh, you could be listening on iTunes or Sketcher or any one of the other infinite things that I set up long ago and I forget. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or frequently, and this is a really funny thing we've experienced over the years, uh, I was commenting to, I actually bumped into a friend of the show and and my former uh, professor, Stephen Sharper, yeah. uh, in the hallway on the way in today, uh, who's uh, one of the instructors here at the University of Toronto. Uh, it was uh, nice to see him as well, but it reminded me to think of the fact that uh, we are coming up on October, Stefan, mm-hmm. at the end of October. Yes. Which means that either, I don't know the exact date, but uh, uh, somewhere, I believe it would actually be, have been last week, but maybe it's this week, uh, will actually have been my 10th year on the show. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Which makes you coming up on five but I, I don't remember what time of year you joined us but yeah that would mean I'd have to go check on, I took my email I think you said, the last time we estimated it I think you said it was about four and a half so we're yeah. getting on we're getting on there so there you go 
so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Depressingly accurate, but we stayed at it. <laughs> uh, I will I will spare you my fun conversation for another time, uh, listeners and Stefan, uh, about my uh, the 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 fun distinction between accuracy and and uh, mm. and specificity but anyway um and precision rather accuracy and precision but anyway uh it's some mapping some gis nerd humor Ah. um so uh into the last thing i have a metaphor which sort of carries from what we were just talking about into the new topic so we were just talking about was puerto rico and what we're moving on now uh, for the last just 15 minutes or so uh is uh, a bit of an update on the state of oil so my my sort of thing that I wanted to mention, my sort of food for thought for this week, if you will, because I like to sort of end on a thought, we'll insert it a little early here today, um, is the idea that, you know, we have this thing where we, keep, as Stephanie, as you were saying with the Puerto Rico story, it comes down so often that this sort of, and I, I don't necessarily fault the news media for this, I feel like they're trying to figure out how to participate in this new media landscape. I think they're trying to figure it out just like everyone else is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. None they of us know. Things have changed so quickly, no one knows what we're doing. Right. And so part of part of the thing that they've been trying, I'm not even necessarily coming down on whether or not they should be doing this as far as the media should be doing it, but should we care what people think? And it was the idea mm-hmm. that the end of that article came, came down to sort of like a poll. Well, you know, here's what we're saying. We're trying to play, sound as neutral as possible because we don't want to be accused of bias. Um, and the best way to sort of counterbalance that is to use a bunch of really soft language to, you know, sort of to, to second guess everything or be very gentle about everything and then end it with a poll of what the public thinks. Uh, it seems to be what a lot of the, you know, New York Times and Washington Post seem to be going with that strategy at the moment. And my comment is sort of like, well, what, who cares what the public thinks? <laughs> and what I mean by that is that often, like, the, what the public is generally pretty busy. We're pretty busy. We make time for the show. And this is about, you know, people ask me to do other things. They're like, no, I got wait. I, I do a show and I have a full-time job. That's it. Yeah. I got no time for anything else. Uh, but a lot, you know, a lot of people have, like, I don't know, kids. And that's their other thing. Right. And so people are generally at the mercy, if they will, and they, they're going to pick and choose what media sources they like to listen to, but they're generally at the mercy of, of you know, s- secondary or tertiary levels of information gathering, which means that they're not going and looking it up themselves. And if if public opinion, uh, as so often as it seems to be, seems to be sort of a, well, so-and-so has a good chance because the public, you know, likes them before they've said anything of their ideas, or, you know, this policy is polling at whatever percent. Okay, but how informed is the public? Probably extremely poorly. And and what I'm concerned about, Stefan, and I know I promised I would keep this brief and, and wrap it up right here. But what I'm really, really concerned about is that this in sort of increased uh, dependence on decision making or, you know, preemptive decision making on, on ways to go on policy instead of falling back on our experts, on our scientists and our engineers and our, and our, our policy uh, people to come up with what is the problem? How do we best solve that problem? And what is the most efficient way to go forward? And then trying to deal with okay, what do we think we can sell to the public as sort of the last step? That, that what do we think we can sell to the public is sort of the first step. And the problem with that is that the public has no idea what's going on. The public only has the idea what's going on for the most part, generally speaking, based on uh, lobbying and commercials put forward by giant corporations who have a vested interest in lying to you in many cases, or at least misleading you, uh, or the news media, which is imperfect at best. And so that's why I say, and I will leave it there, mm. but that's why I sort of say, well, who cares what the public thinks? Because the public, generally speaking, on, a, on just generally speaking on a wide variety of topics, is incredibly poorly informed. And so if we start making decisions based on the people that are making these things who have no idea what they're talking about, and if they do have any idea what they're talking about, it's almost certainly influenced very, very heavily by somebody who has a vested interest in it being a certain way that isn't necessarily the truth, then I think we find ourselves in a really precarious position. Well, yeah, like the and what's interesting about that is that more often than I think the answer to what to do about the fact that, uh, you know, that the public uh, or that that 
politics is so deli- is so is so and always has been and i think you know in some way has to be obviously uh driven by public opinion um and driven by how you know it's you know the best the best thing you can hope for is that you at least that everyone gets freely chance to to vote and have that you know mirrored on the world and so maybe we go through times uh of our uh, in which our public does not pays attention more to to you know to feelings and they do science and sometimes we get you know you move you push back and feel more science than feelings and i think this constant tension exists within the public realm and sphere uh, and then that sort of plays upwards into 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 politics when pe- and people don't like it because they're like well scientists make mistakes and they change their minds really do you want to take let's take science and let's compare it to any average group of people or every average person who do you think makes more mistakes <laughs> who do you think is wrong more often is this it comes down to the same argument really quickly it comes down to the same thing against like self-driving cars be like well i don't necessarily trust them you trust drunk drivers Right. Between yeah. the two of them, self-driving cars, once the technology, like, it has the potential to be significantly more safe. But people just don't like the idea that they aren't super important, best and uh, smartest and brightest, and they have the best decision making. Same thing with uh, all these re- quote unquote responsible gun owners that then like leave their gun lying around and their kids shoot themselves. Right. Like humans suck at a lot of stuff. We need to start taking that into account when we make decisions and not pretending that we're brilliant and smart and never make mistakes because we do. Yes. Um, and so what I was going to say is that like the fact that the so the response I think, or sort of part of sort of the, maybe the other sphere, one of the other spheres in 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 sort of our civic life, that's in some ways supposed to be, I mean, it's supposed to be in some way act, can act as a check on uh, on sort of public public opinions is a sort of market, you know, the the, the market, uh, and, and we sort of understand the idea of the the, the sort of the golden hand of the market and how you know in reality, like invisible in the invisible hand of the market, yeah, um, it could also be golden. It's invisible; no one can see it. Can be both invisible and golden. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Um, so the the whole that whole concept is basically that like you know just you know despite what people think uh, if you know better you can make money off it right like if you know if you actually have information that that other people don't you can use that information to 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 make money and and that in that you doing that will help you then sort of in some way influence back into public policy right like eventually people realize that oh look they're noting something that we're not doing and they're making money off it and so that's probably a better idea let's do that uh, which is why we constantly talk on the show and and every environmentalist constantly talk about the idea of reducing externalities because that sort of helps make the market more intelligent and and sort of act as a better counterbalance in some way. However, the market itself is not this sort of is is not itself in any way um, separated from the same follies that 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 of human presumption. You know, the idea that the society will exist in the same way it does now in 10 years or 20 years and 30 years, despite all of the evidence to the contrary, uh, permeates both the market and the public sphere. You know, the, the same person who walks outside and says, oh, it's in 20 degrees in October. That seems nice for this year. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with that at all. Uh, let's carry on. Uh, then is the same. I will then vote for someone. Yeah, and so I don't believe in climate change because the weather is fine here. Uh, that person impacts both public policy and the market. And so when you see things like how often we talk about the oil bubble is this conversation around. OK. Uh, we are constantly talking about the fact that electric car vehicles are the future. Everyone is inside. That is more and more and more and more common. Uh, there are conversations now about how these multiple countries are coming in to to do things, uh, and you know China's considering banning it, uh, banning banning. Uh, gas vehicles uh, and I think they've got some sort of timeline on and more and more places are coming up with the same sort of things um, which which will lead to the popping of the oil level that's a thing like you know the idea that oil is the oil is priced in as presuming it will go on forever and as soon as people accept that it isn't 
it, the value of oil companies will dramatically fall. And that will happen at some point. And people generally accept that. Uh, like most economists worth their weight will accept that that reality or they're just waiting for us to all burn and that's the actual reality. This is one or the other. Like either, you know, either prices of oil companies will fall because uh, because all of the world is on fire or because we've switched off of fossil fuels. One or the other. Um, the, the, th the third option did exist for oil companies forever ago, which was dramatically invest in becoming an energy company uh, and slowly transition off fossil fuels uh, and be that change. Most of them have decided to completely ignore that. And so, and so what we're seeing now is, is sort of, so every time a story comes up where someone, someone actually takes this position seriously, I'm like, ooh, someone's paying attention a little bit. That's fun. Um, and, you know, so, so this story that, that sort of led to the whole conversation is in Norway. Uh, Norway is about to, Norway again, is, Norway is a country that's, like Canada, very, very much based on fossil fuels. Uh, you know, a majority of their money comes from, uh, comes from uh, their sort of nationalized, state nationalized fossil company. And... They are currently just started studying uh, what, what, how ways to make its economy greener and reduce their dependence on oil and gas because they expect them to lose value amid efforts to slow climate change. You know, the a government, the government commissioned experts, uh, to they'll be they'll be appointed soon. Uh, will examine the nation's green competitiveness in, in ways to ins insulate Western Europe's biggest oil and gas border. That's themselves um, from financial risks linked to climate change. And, you know, the, the, the quote from the minister uh, is, is, given the energy and transportation revolutions, fossil fuel re resources will be of less value over time. This is a statement of fact. Um, he is right. The markets are ignoring this fact. The markets are completely ignoring this fact. And at some point... In this, like, I, I guess I, I spent the. I feel like I spent the first two parts of the show bemoaning the fact that we as humans, that public society is refusing to pay attention to climate change. I am going to end the show bemoaning the fact that we as uh, we has a, a mar uh, that our markets are doing the same thing. That like we're basically ignoring climate change in every single aspect of our life and ignoring these things in every single piece of this. And this is an issue, and I and I don't actually know what to do about it. Um, you know, uh, we are we are seeing an energy transition to renewables. Uh, that is true. It's taking. It is not happening overnight. Uh, but the the increases is is happening quite quickly, uh, faster than some people thought, uh, slower than we asked, but faster than we thought. Um, and and we're making strides on. You know, there's there's big strides in battery technology and stuff like that. But it's we're still sitting around without a full answer. Uh, and I don't know what to do about it. Yeah, and the the one of the things we have, I mean, we we keep coming back to, and it's and it's sort of that thing, and it, I think it has to do with sort of the way that the oil companies work. A bit. Like you were saying, like people, oh, they're you know they're being dumb or something. I don't think that's it. I think you it takes so much. It takes there's so much infrastructure in these oil companies that, it, and it takes so long to transition their assets that I, I I think that part of what's holding them back from doing that isn't that they're being stubborn necessarily. Is what they're saying is, look, somebody's going to burn this oil, and if we aren't part of that thing trying to get it, someone else will, and and even if long-term renewable energy is better, in the short term, they're going to have better market positioning, which means that when this revolution comes, 
they're going to be better positioned even though we had a head start because they made all that money while we were busy investing in technology that wasn't ready. I don't I think that's wrong, but I think that's the, the thinking pattern. And they're thinking if they come out and sort of say, you know, this, uh, you know, it's true, our business model is invalid and we need to change it, that there's sort of the, the, the value of the 85% of their business that is still in oil, that that value might crash, right? And I think that's what they're afraid of. I think there's a way around that. I think, and I think they're wrong and I think that there is a way for them to move forward and do that. But I think that that's where that fear comes from. Um, but to, uh, I will also shout out to a, a listener. Well, I won't do it the way that they said to the <laughs> yes, Rob Shirky uh, from our horizon. Uh, pricing on gas pumps is a really good uh, thing to well, do. Not pricing. Uh, <laughs> the the post. And I'm sorry I ever gave you my cell phone. Yes, uh, it would anything anything to shift the market, including uh, including the including Rob Shirky's j- incredible idea of putting <laughs> uh, warning labels and gas pump nozzles uh, would be excellent. And you know what would be a great way to spend uh, way, great way to sort of add. and you know, if if an oil company was really serious, they would just take Rob's idea, they'd put it on every single one of their own nozzles to prove that they're taking this seriously. Right. And in, and you know where they get that money from? The $2.5 million they spent lobbying uh, in the last three months, California, during their conversations around uh, around their upgrade of uh, of their cabin trade system. Or they could even just take the 20 to $50 billion a year that Canadian taxpayers subsidize them. Yeah, take our money. Giant We've given you the money. Welfare, they're giant corporate welfare queens that are, even though they're the richest corporations on the planet, still need 20 to $50 billion a year of our money because they're so, so scared and so, so desperate. Tell you what, take all your own money, keep doing what you're doing, take all of our money and spend it to to at least be honest and say, look, we have a problem. Let's solve it. It's our money. It's the least you could do. <laughs> That's all the time we have for on this week's show. Uh, check out the show notes and everything else about the show at greenmajority.ca. Thank you very much to Stefan. Thank you very much to our techs, uh, Megan and Stephen. And thank you, the listener, for listening. We'll see you around.